The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about Kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand up comedy? You want stand up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I really, 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 really don't think so. Oh, rocking out today. The band is like on uh, cocaine. And somebody found them in a storage company or something. Calm down, guys. It's been a little too loud. Oh, yeah, I got to blast these headphones because my ears are just like dead as can be today. Good morning, folks. It is Thursday, July 6, 2023. I am all out of whack. They put a, a holiday on a Tuesday. Then Wednesday feels like Monday. This feels like Tuesday. It's Thursday. I'm just confused all over. Uh, I'm all over the map. Today, I'm really excited. Katie Hannigan's going to be my guest. Um, Katie's on my list of favorites now uh, in comedy. Um, you know, it's impossible. You see this all the time. People put out lists or ask for lists. Give me a top 10 comedians. You can't come up with top 10 because you're going to leave somebody really great out lots of great people out so my list is ever changing so i keep it like a top 1000 or whatever but my list of favorite comedians uh is growing all the time i know i very rarely take anybody off the list uh but today i'm uh really excited to be talking to somebody who is on my list and that is katie hannigan um we also have donna shannon um Slightly Irrelevant Reviews this morning. And Robert Taylor should be joining us. If he can figure out the, the way to work his key to the back door on his own. And if not, I'll probably have to send him a link. But we're going to see if he can do that. Um, I screwed up something in the coffee really bad today. I'm going to have to. I think I'm probably going to have to call an audible and go to um, – Donna Shannon's piece early so I can get a fresh cup of coffee because this is not the cold coffee that I love and expect every morning. Something is weird in it. And uh, I think I might have just um, uh, just screwed up the recipe a little bit. Uh, happens. It happens. Anyway, um, uh, yesterday, 
the news was, and still people going crazy over cocaine being found in the White House. At where the White House tours began, it was found in a cubby. First of all, I want to know. Nobody loses fucking cocaine. Like, you can talk about cocaine uh, addicts all you want, coke heads. Nobody loses it. That was left there intentionally. No, Nobody loses their coke. Pot, yes, people lose pot. Heroin, sure. It's, uh, nobody loses cocaine. Cocaine is the one drug that never gets lost. It was put there on purpose. Now, uh, here's the deal. Somebody uh, in law enforcement said it's not likely that the uh, perpetrator or whoever owned that cocaine will ever be found. Hello? The Secret Service isn't up to standard mall cop technique. I promise you. You give me a list of people who had access to the White House. It couldn't have been that many. I mean, how many people take a tour of the White House every day? A thousand? I don't know, maybe more than that. Well, who knows? I got to look that up. I don't know how many people actually take the tour, but I can't imagine it's more than a couple of thousand top. You give me a list of those people. We'll run down their history. We'll look at their photos. We'll check them out. I'll tell you who owned the cocaine. It's not that hard. A standard mall cop could figure it out. The Secret Service can't figure out which of those people who had access at that time is the cokehead. I'm thinking of a new kind of uh, segment on the show. Find the cokehead, and we'll just get pictures. We'll get a picture of a cokehead, and then pictures of random people in there. I guarantee my chat room will be be able to pick out the cokehead. If not a hundred percent of the time, ninety nine point nine by nine 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 percent of the time. Not like cokeheads just can hide. <laughs> they stand out. Uh, now. Right is making like crazy, uh, going crazy over this. Like it's the end of the world. And one of the Fox News morning douchebags uh, saying, well, it could be fentanyl in there and we don't know. And what is it? Well, so what? Nobody's doing it. <laughs> and what difference does it make if there's fentanyl in it? It was found by cops. Now, maybe the cops are doing it. That's not, it wouldn't be the first time. Believe me. Uh, but nobody's going to die from it. And it, it's just ridiculous. Now, you know, the, the, the idea that it might have been Joe uh, Biden's or Hunter Biden's, I don't think either one of them were in the White House yesterday. So uh, that would be a difficult thing. They had somebody bring their cocaine and put it in a tourist storage uh, tubby. It's just ridiculous, man. But again, uh, show me, show me the list of people who had access, and I will, I will definitely uh, point out the cokehead. It's not that hard. And if the Secret Service can't do that, we need to get uh, better cops on the Secret Service. That's just, you know, come on. We got big news for the Rockin' Forty Fives gig tomorrow night. Legit uh, rock star will be sitting in with us. Uh, for the entire 3.5-hour set that we we will be doing tomorrow night at Catch, Venetian Shores, and Lindenhurst. Be a great time. Weather's going to be great on the beach. Uh, be lots and lots of people, and the boat people will be there. And, you know, just a wild, fun summer good time. We also will be kind of 
celebrating Mikey's birthday. Mikey's birthday is until the 11th, which I believe is Tuesday. But we're not doing a gig on Tuesday, so we'll be celebrating Mikey's uh, birthday tomorrow night. And that should be a good one. If you're in on Long Island, please do come out and be part of the show. Uh, and I, I promise you, we want to remember. I got to um, remember to charge up all the video cameras and uh, and get ready to make sure we have some of this documented uh, for tomorrow. Anyway, I'm excited about that. Uh, got some hate mail, as usual, on my Joe Rogan. I took that snippet of where I was uh, pointing out how Rogan got fooled by the Internet again. Yes, I put that as a, a short clip on the Internet. And it hasn't gotten a whole lot of views, but it sure has generated quite a bit of hate mail. You know, Rogan's cult is very protective of him. You cannot criticize him in any way. And I was I did go a little bit over the top. I put a dunce cap on his head. But he falls for this stuff all the time. It's not like if you remember the one where he fell for uh the boxing match where it said father beats up son and he was going off on it and then his boy Jamie uh pointed out that that's not his father. It's just a legitimate old guy versus young guy boxing match and uh the guy was winning, you don't stop until the ref says stop. And he said, and Rogan went, well, why did they lie? <laughs> why did they lie? It's on the fucking internet. That's why they lied. Why did they lie? <laughs> Such a naive uh, for clicks. That's why. They lied for clicks. That's why people make up bullshit titles and thumbnails and and nonsense like that on videos just to get clicks okay joe i'm glad i could we could work that out and you, you know what it's all about anyway as i mentioned i do need to kind of refresh the coffee so i'm gonna uh start with donna shannon's piece right now i think is a good time to do it give me a couple of minutes this is not a long piece please bear with me i will be back shortly i just got to get some i gotta get some good coffee folks i mean that's the way it is Hey, it's Donna Shannon again with Slightly Irrelevant Reviews, and today I'm going to talk about The Secret Life of Pets. Um, yeah, this was released in 2016. Yes, it's an animated movie for kids. I admit it. I watch animated kid movies and TV shows all the time. My kids are grown. I have a grandson who's almost 12. But no, I was watching this on my own. But uh, Secret Life of Pets, a couple of weird things I noticed about it. Uh, first of all, it stars Louis C.K. as a dog. So he was a dog on screen before we all found out what a dog he was off screen, too. But this movie didn't get canceled because of that. Uh, also, it's got Kevin Hart as this... I think he was just really extra in this one. He's like this crazy-ass white snowball is his name. He's a rabbit. And yeah, I just found the whole Snowball character way over the top and ridiculous. But here's the thing about it. Overall, I do like this movie. I've watched it multiple, multiple times. But um, I think it kind of points out that I've got something of an evil streak. 
And specifically, here is why. I also watch a lot of horror movies. Like, probably more than would be healthy. But, uh, yeah. So I'm used to a lot of murder and mayhem and all the rest of this. And I've noticed this tendency of me, if I'm watching something that's like a, like a little bit too wholesome, uh, I'm like going to go, er, okay, when are they going to start killing people? Oh, hey, I've been known to watch horror movies and go, oh, I would have done stuff that is so much worse and so much mes more messed up. I can't believe they didn't do this. Uh, they totally could have, you know, just pulled all the skin off of his flesh. Ah, why didn't they show that? So, yes, I have issues and I have problems. So, specifically, there's this one scene in the movie that really drove home that I'm probably evil. So, at one point, the two dogs are lost in the city. You know, Max and um, Duke is the other big dog. And, of course, they're starving. They don't have any food. So, they get a whiff of a hot dog factory in there. And they go in and they start eating all the hot dogs. And they have a, like, acid-fueled trip from meat overload for all the hot dogs. So, we've got wonderful hot dog showdown with like songs and dancing and just hot dogs everywhere more more hot dogs than you could shake a stick at but here was the evil part after they have their meat orgy they're like riding through one of the conveyor belts in the factory and they're just like sitting amongst all the hot dogs and stuff and i'm like oh my god these dogs are gonna get chopped up and turned into hot dogs. <gasps> that doesn't happen, by the way. <laughs> it is a kid's movie. The dogs do not get turned into hot dogs. Uh, the worst thing that happens is the dog catcher shows up and tries to catch him. But yeah, it's like, what the hell's wrong with me that honestly... My first thought is, when are these dogs going to die? How are they going to escape all the industrial meat slicers and meat grinders? Uh, are they going to get their fur pulled off before they go through all the equipment? And um, yeah, obviously there are things that are very, very wrong with me. But overall, the movie's good. It's a lot more wholesome than I am. So you can watch it with your kids, or you can get really high and watch it by yourself, um, and then have a much more interesting experience. Uh, last note on it, though, I am not completely heartless. Um, I feel all the emotions, and at the end, even though I have watched this movie probably way more times than I should care to admit, at the very end, when the humans come home and all the pets are standing by the door and they're greeting everybody and they're wagging their tails and all the rest of this, yes, I still get teary-eyed. It is just very cute and very touching. Uh, so there you go. Have your Kleenex ready for at the end. You're not going to be crying because any dogs died. It's just a little bit too <laughs> sweet and on the wholesome side. So there you go. This has been Donna Shannon, Slightly Irrelevant Reviews. And if you like what I'm talking about, please be sure to check out my own podcast, Donna Shannon's Coyote Tales, and you'll find out just the rest of my sick, sick issues. Thanks. Thank you, Donna. 
please uh, do check out Coyote Tales podcast. Thank you, Donna. We, uh, you know, we like to support all the contributors here on the program and make sure you give her a follow. Uh, she's on uh, Twitter at Donna Shannon. Uh, and um, the coffee I just got, I have not checked it out. Something is wrong. Somebody is trying to poison my coffee this morning. Just on a brief note, my guest is in the back uh, uh, green room right now, and I don't want to keep her waiting, but uh, a brief note on what's going on at uh, Sticks and Stones Comedy out in Southampton. On July 17th, we're going to be having uh, Eddie Brill doing... Eddie Brill uh, was handpicked by David Letterman to be uh, his comedian casting person and he was a uh, warm-up guy for the audience for a lot of uh, years but also picked all the comedians that went on uh, late night with David Letterman so he knows his way around he's doing a comedy workshop at at, uh, the Southampton uh, location of Sticks and Stones Comedy Club it's uh, actually downstairs at the event space in the, uh, um, the library it's free absolutely free and then the next night on the 18th, Eddie will be uh, headlining at uh, Six and Stones. You, if you are on Long Island, please support uh, Six and Stones Comedy Club. It's good to have comedy clubs opening rather than closing. Uh, we're so used to having them closed. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna time to get the show rolling here. Uh, Katie Hannigan is on my list of favorite comedians now uh, and as we talked about uh this whole idea of who's your favorite comedians and people give me a top 10 impossible in top impossible list is always growing but uh really impressed with her she is a stand-up comic actor writer her stand-up has been featured on the late show with stephen colbert comedy central just for last new faces I'm old faces. Uh, the Late Late Show with James Corden and MTV. Her debut album, Feeling of Emptiness, was named 10 Best of 2022 by the Intero Bang. Um, Katie performs nightly, nightly in New York City at the uh, Gotham uh, at the Comedy Cellar, uh, New York Comedy Club, and Gotham Comedy Club. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome in the aforementioned Katie Hannigan. Katie, welcome. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Good morning have, to all. You have good coffee, I can tell. And this I'm... is an okay coffee. This is my pre-coffee coffee. <laughs> so this is the one to get me out the door to get to get to Duncan, which is I where think, I'll be going next. I think my wife is trying to poison me or something. Oh I got bad gosh. coffee this morning. Well, you know, what what's a wife to do? That's right. No, I, I appreciate I if I were her, I'd po- I'd poison me long ago. <laughs> anyway, I have to tell you, you have a striking resemblance to my stepdaughter. And when I first okay. found out about you, when I first discovered you, it was online because I don't have television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought I saw her and I saw you, but I thought it was her. And I said, oh, my God, what have we done? She's a stand up <laughs> comic. This is all my fault. <laughs> how how oh can I make gosh. it right? Well, I'd love to meet her. Uh, <laughs> Well, maybe sometime. That would be great. Now, uh, but then I heard your voice and I said, oh, thank God. It's somebody else's step. Oh, okay. somebody else's daughter. That's fine. Uh, anyway, uh, so, but it's been a really uh, good experience in getting to follow you. And, and now I'm like addicted to all your shorts. I got to get into you perform at three clubs or all three clubs every night in New York City. No, no, I'm, I'm out and about every night. So I do I do the clubs. I also do other clubs than the three listed as well. I perform at West Side. Um, I perform at, you know, there's tons of new little teeny tiny comedy clubs that are opening here all the time. I do bar shows, you know, I'm on the road. So 
before the pandemic, I did perform every night. And now, you know, I like to take a couple nights off. Okay. Now, has anything, is there a bright side to post-pandemic uh, comedy in New York City? Has, has anything improved because of it? I'm not sure that anything's improved. I mean, the whole landscape has totally shifted because a lot of people are, you know, doing different videos uh, online and they're able to access a, a new audience in that way. So there's a lot more of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, taped performance aspect, you know, yeah. recorded performance um, than there has been before. So, but since I started, I started stand up in 2010, and everything's totally different now, except for the actual act of performing stand up. Right. You know, because uh, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people were saying, in down times like this, it always uh, gives way to a creative boom afterwards. And I'll, I'm waiting for the boom. I, I mean, we do have one comedy club of sticks and stones out here on the island that has opened up, which is different than closings <laughs> it's a positive uh sign there but i'm seeing and uh jeffrey gurian told me clubs in new york are, are completely packed every night of the week and i was like why am i getting emails every day for free tickets to <laughs> all these places if that's true i mean so that it, it's kind of mixed messages and i'm just kind of trying to figure out is there a boom happening and, and can we look forward to some really uh new things and new new opportunities for people you guys i mean it's all online i think it's all online so what what's kind of happening now is that people who weren't able to perform were going online and developing an audience that way so those people can go and you know they are totally independent of the comedy clubs so they can go perform in a coffee shop for 100 people and sell out and just go from town to town and uh and so it, it is kind of interesting the way that it's definitely a creative boom in, in that regard. Although I don't know that it's, you know, necessarily for the comedy yeah. clubs. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cause there, there are, seem to be a lot of new opportunities for uh, performances out there in very strange places. Like, uh, I don't know, laundromats. Uh, people are doing comedy shows, especially here on Long Island. I don't know if it's like this in, in Manhattan, but people are doing comedy shows anywhere they can plug in a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just, yeah. We will do that. We're like roaches. We will thrive <laughs> in any environment. So why uh, why am I lucky enough to get you in the morning? Because I have uh, uh, this idea that comedians like to sleep late, and it, it's always the biggest problem is you know I'll do it at eleven thirty. Well, I'm off the air at eleven thirty. <laughs> uh, are you generally a morning person? Have you always been a morning person? I am tired right now. I will say, but we um, we have been having the um exterior facade of our building renovated for about three months so every day we were waking up at eight to the sound of like someone banging on the side of the building so um that's kind of turned me into an early riser i <laughs> i just at eight o'clock my eyes pop open and they're they're actually finished now thank god but um but i do enjoy getting up early i love to get up like i know people say this is people don't believe me they say this is insane but I love like an early morning flight, getting to the airport, you know, even like 7 a.m. There's something exciting about it to me. If And it's probably the least stressful time to fly. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, sure. you know, if I'm going to take a flight and I'm not going to take a flight anywhere, mm -hmm. uh, I, it would be early in the morning. I would definitely want to do that. Now, New York City, compared to uh, other places that you might uh, perform at, like other cities, uh, 
far more touristy, right? Or maybe maybe nothing like Vegas, but I mean, uh, as far as the crowds in the comedy clubs are not necessarily New Yorkers. Yes, there is a lot. I mean, it, it does depend on, you know, which clubs you go to. Like, I work a couple clubs on the Upper West Side. I was saying, like, Stand Up New York or West Side Comedy Club. Those are a lot of local people at those shows. But, yeah, definitely downtown. It is a lot of people who are coming out to New York and doing a comedy show is on their big list of things to do. But I love it. I was a tour guide for uh, several years, a private tour guide. So I always try to welcome welcome people to New York because I know it can be kind of overwhelming and exhilarating at the same time. Wow. So do you, do you um, ever alter your set based on the sensibilities of the, the tourists in the room? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I do crowd work sometimes, so I guess I would alter it in that way. Or, you know, of course I um, will alter it if I'm bombing, I will try to go in a different direction, (laughs) but no, I usually, I usually kind of stick to, you know, stick to the plan of the material that I'm developing, which is kind of for a certain audience. You know, you mentioned bombing and none of you don't post any of that, but there are comedians (laughs) who do. And, you know, the shorts and people are, and I love that. I mean, I had somebody Mm -hmm. uh, call me two days ago talking about a comedian and they they posted a thing of them really struggling on stage. And he said, man, that was terrible. I said, no, he did that on purpose. It's, It's kind of, like laughing at me laughing at myself type of thing but he was like i can't believe he put that up that's why he put that up you Mm -hmm. don't do that do you you feel like uh there's any benefit in that at all oh sure i mean i think there's nothing funnier than your friend bombing on stage you know i think it's hilarious i unfortunately well fortunately and unfortunately i really don't bomb too often sometimes i'll do a new joke that doesn't do well but i'm usually able to get out of a hole so I, I don't tape every set. And usually if I'm at a club where the set is being taped, I'm on my best behavior to do well so I can continue working at that club. <laughs> oh, okay. So so the reels that I see, because, you know, I don't know, once I start watching you, it's like uh, Facebook or YouTube or whatever, uh, just says, you know, he likes he likes her. Show, show him everything she's ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh you those are done by the club or do you bring in you don't bring in your own like uh, camera person or something no no i don't do that so most most of the clubs and small rooms here now do tape your set for you and they will give it to you if you request it or some will just give it to you they'll just send it right to you so um i do i will say i do all my own video editing which i'm very proud of very cool was, yeah it takes kind of a long time to learn and it's scary but I'm glad that I did it. That, that's interesting because they have so many. And I think uh, by next year, uh, all you'll have to do is say uh, say the words. Edit this, cut this up into shorts for me, and AI will do it all for you. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your comedy is very relatable. It's 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 um, it's basically about your life and and, and the things that 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 we all go through. Uh, and that that um, that's a, a like a, a common thing you have to kind of, you know, write about and, and joke about what you know. Uh, some people feel like they have to be edgy. And the word edgy, I think, is overused. Uh, do you feel any compulsion to kind of, um, I don't know, up the uh, shock value to get attention? <laughs> no. I mean, I actually, believe it or not, some of my stuff is considered edgy, even though I wouldn't consider it edgy. But, you know, I post things online like, 
um, you know, something that I think is just having an opinion seems to really rub people the wrong way. Just having like a, you know, strong opinion, like I said, oh, you know, maybe I won't have kids. What if I have to spend the rest of my life having fun, you know? Right. And that, that to people, I, I couldn't believe that it blew up. So many people were offended and upset by it. So I think just kind of by existing and being true to yourself, you are being edgy. Yeah. Because who's, yeah. you know, who thinks I, nothing, right? I can definitely uh, relate to that, but I would not see that wouldn't surprise me because I'm I not that I try to follow uh, everything, <laughs> all these opinions that people have. But I have noticed this whole backlash against people who don't have kids. And just yesterday online, somebody was saying uh, people who don't have kids shouldn't get or shouldn't have be the right have a right to vote because they they're not contributing to society they have no stake in the future and like well that's awfully cold <laughs> i mean i think you need a hobby in your life at that point I think yes. you need to direct your energy into you know some kind of creative pursuit right uh yesterday uh and i i believe and if i'm wrong about this correct me but i believe you are kind of passionate about or at least interested in uh the subject of climate change uh, uh, am, are you? Am I correct in that? Yes, I've done some, I call it work in the climate space. That's the most millennial way I can phrase it. Um, I've done a few different projects where I've worked with, um, for example, I was recently working with students in environmental studies at the University of Boulder, Colorado, and just working on um, imparting information about climate change to people in a way that's non-threatening and doesn't make them want to fight you. You know, and then in in conjunction with that, I'm also interested in just living a responsible life as a person. Right. Well, I I uh, support that idea, and I've been trying to kind of uh, make it a civil conversation for 15 years, uh, and it it doesn't seem to be working. And and the problem is we have people who just refuse to recognize that it's even happening rather than making the debate about what can we do about it? Is there anything we could do about it? That's a legitimate debate to have. Like, is there anything we can do to stop it, slow it? Is it too late for that? But to say it's not happening is like to say it's night when it's day. It's just like people just are refusing to accept the reality. And you can just go crazy. You can make yourself crazy with those kind of things. But, you know, my personal belief is that if somebody is not willing to... Um, if they're not open to new information, then I can't, it's not my responsibility to change them. I'm really more like looking for people who are interested in receiving new information. And those are the people that I'm, I'm working to cultivate a connection with. And, you know, it's the same, I think, with so many other um, liberal topics in today's age. If you've made a choice and you're sticking with it and you are just closed off to any anything new there's nothing i can do and i'm and then i'm not really interested in trying to reach you yeah well i think at some point we have to at least get to some kind of consensus that we need to take action and that's why i would want to kind of uh try to get some people to accept that it's a reality mm -hmm. not something we need to fight over and i do have people you know and for whatever reason uh, you know sometimes it's money sometimes it's just people who just don't know any better and they're just cheerleaders for whatever side they're on and mm -hmm. and don't even think about it critically yeah. but uh where we are now you are you a native new yorker no i'm from um indianapolis originally uh, uh <laughs> and how long have you been in, in new york um 15 years i moved in to eight, uh 2008 
awake. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, you were a young adult, or uh, were we still still with, with I your was, parents? Um, I had just uh, graduated college. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this always part of your um, your idea for yourself? Like when you were going to college, did you did you think of you? I'm going to be a stand up comic. Well, I went to school to perform theater. So I wanted to be involved in the arts. I wasn't quite sure. I was really involved in comedic performance. I did a lot of improvisation and a lot of kind of more just like avant-garde comedic stylings, if you will. And so I, I wanted to move either to New York or LA. And as it happened, a close girlfriend of mine who was a year earlier than me, she had moved here. So I came to live with her. Right. That was a good decision, yes? Yeah, I love it. I love it here. I love it. I mean, of course, you know, Indiana will always be my home, but yeah. I love New York. Well, I think there, you know, a lot of people have that idea, L.A. or New York, but I think there's a very different mindset to and different career path each city will take you on. Uh, for for instance, if, I think a lot of people who go to L.A. become stand-up comedians uh, with the idea of movies and television in mind, mm-hmm. and more people in New York fall in love with the uh, the actual craft of stand-up and and are in it more for that experience and not not always looking of course everybody would love to be you know Hollywood calling yeah we have a great movie deal for you and all that stuff mm-hmm. but in New York it seemed more people are, are dedicated to the craft of stand-up comedy do you think do you think uh, do you agree with that or disagree I do I mean well it's just by a numbers by by the numbers New York is better there's more opportunities to perform and there's closer road work, you know, so we have the whole tri-state area in on the West coast, everything is so much more spread out. So it's hard to hop in the car and go for like a one nighter, for example. But, but I do also, um, you know, there's also a, a film and TV market here as well. So I, you know, I'm involved in that too. Of course, so yeah. yeah. People forget that, you know, and Hollywood isn't Hollywood anymore. It's everywhere. It's in Atlanta. It's in Miami. It's in Texas. It's everywhere. It's Mm -hmm. uh, uh, all that. But still, the idea is to go go, go to the comedy store, get noticed by a movie producer and (laughs) and then and I had had somebody who uh, his his brother tried stand up comedy five years ago and, and he said he asked me, why do you think Vinny gave it up? And I said, he did three shows. He was the headliner for the, his first and only three shows. He had lots of friends, so he packed the room. The first mm-hmm. time he had 700 people come to see oh him. My the God. second time he had like 300 people. The third time he had 110 people or something. And I said, he figured out that this, the life of stand-up comedy is not you go out there and perform for your friends three or four times. Somebody sees you and you get your own special. It's <laughs> you go to a comedy club, open mic, you start with three minutes and sometimes they don't let you have the first three minutes. You have two minutes and you get the light and you do that for 10 years before anybody pays you a dime. Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. your, uh, how long have you been actually performing stand-up for that 15 so, years that you've been? Uh, I started in um, 2010. Yep. So it's been 13 years now, a little over 13. Yeah. So uh, any advice for those solos people who <laughs> who are just starting out and with stars in their eyes? I'm going to be the next star. I'm going to get my special next <laughs> year. And I... Well, I mean, I like I said, the landscape is totally different from the time when I started. I remember when I started, people would say, you never put a tape out. Never put out your your tape because people will steal your material. They'll see it when it's unfinished. You won't. You, it'll be on the internet for years. 
which is true. I have tapes from years ago that I'm like, oh, I this is still floating around, you know. Um, but I, so now everything's totally different. You know, it's like putting out unfinished material as fast as you can, you know, cultivating more of a personality, connecting to an audience, you know. So there are so many things that are different. But I would say there's so many uh, different directions that you can go in. You could do a podcast. You could just focus on stand up. You could be creating your own sketches and videos. You know, there's a hundred different things that you could do, but I would just try to focus in on which thing you really think is the most creatively fulfilling. Focus on that, then have a backup. And when the, the primary thing, like if you're performing stand up every night, when that kind of like, you know, dries up inevitably, then have a little backup. Maybe you're doing an improv class, then you go back to the primary, then you go back to the secondary, you know, go back and forth between the two things. So, so you're able to over a long period of time, develop a long term skill. Because right. now what I see everybody's trying to do everything. Oh, I have a podcast, I have this. And now I'm doing a show and I'm doing that. And it's like, it's all bad. Everything's all bad. You have to get better, you know? I think you're right. And I think there are a lot of people who are doing podcasts and, that, and people always think, well, I'm just saying this because I don't like the competition. I've been in radio for 40 years and, and I don't mind the competition. I've never, <laughs> I'm not trying, people don't believe this when I say this, I'm not trying to get famous. I like like sliding under the radar and, and dealing with my uh, comedy and music niche of, of creatives that I cater to, which is a very small audience, even though it seems like there's a billion com comedians out there now. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, relatively speaking, it's, it's a very small niche. So, but, um, so I think there are too many people uh, podcasting who shouldn't be podcasting or they should at least get some some training in how to do an interview right and how to, if they're doing interview styles, but there's an awful lot of these just drunken bros type of things where these guys sitting yeah. down getting drunk and talking about nothing like what is the value <laughs> of proposition in that what are you getting at that but yeah. well, you, you mentioned putting out videos and jokes though mm -hmm. here's the thing i've been thinking about lately that's got me puzzled because in, in music we've always had a uh, plagiarism thing but musicians don't give it up comedians if somebody steals your joke and uh, i've seen this happen a lot of times uh, and I don't, I'm not going to mention names because that's a whole other thing. But people, a comedian will do a joke. Another comedian steals it. And the guy who was doing it originally gives it up as a, I can't do that anymore. Somebody stole my joke. In music, it would be like, no, I'm going to keep doing this and let the world know this is my song. And, and sometimes sue and all that. But I think comedians are a little too quick to just surrender. Okay, you stole my joke. Well, I mean, I think the one of the main passions of somebody who's truly into comedy is like writing a great joke, you know, so once you've written a great joke, you already kind of did it. And you could if somebody stole your joke, you could always write a better joke that's unique to you that you can be known for. And so it is kind of the mentality, I think, across the board of comedians. If somebody steals your joke, they're going to need it because they can't they obviously they can't write so they they're like on their way out to begin with right. you know because you're not going to really thrive as a comedian if you can't really write and develop your own comedic point of view so okay. it's very healthy attitude if i if i do say so but <laughs> i i know there's still the other side of that where so many males especially mm -hmm. are get resentful about it and they carry it yeah. it's not like they ever you know 
necessarily directly confront the person. They just carry around the resentment of it. And then it kind of sleeps, seeps out 10 years later in a conversation at best. It's all my joke. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, you... we will. We will talk about you behind your back. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. We're doing yeah. that anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, now, without uh, giving any specifics away, have you had jokes stolen from you? Well, you know, I will say that I have I have had jokes that seem to be on the same topic or with a very similar premise as another comedian. And usually my experience is I'll approach the comedian and say like, or they'll approach me and say, hey, I have a joke that's the same as yours. Here's a video of me doing it. Just so you know, I think we have the same joke. Because it's totally common when, you know, it's like there are only so many jokes that you can write about student loans or having kids or like, you know, having a loft bed. And so it's really more appropriate for someone to be like, I, can, I see we have the same joke. Let's not do it on the same show. Like, no worries. And then eventually, you know, I've just worked it out of my own act. Sure. But what's really a problem for me is people taking my jokes and circulating them on the Internet without any type of, you know, like I've had like tweets that have gone pretty viral and um, and I've had companies, huge, huge meme accounts that have millions of followers take the material and then just never give me any type of um, never tag me or anything. And then circulating their account. People are loving it. The tweets blowing up on their account. Meanwhile, I'm struggling to reach the people with my own work that I want to build my audience. So I've, I've seen that happen. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it is malicious, intentional, or just lack of internet ethics. I think we need a a kind of uh, class, a mandatory class on ethical behavior on the internet. Like when you're sharing stuff like that, a lot of people don't know like that it might you might be infringing on somebody else's and somebody else's work and that they should get recognition for it because, you know, we don't uh, necessarily think of it as something of like that has value in that sense right yeah well I, I have a lot of my stuff now because I have done an album it's copyrighted so now I now if you use my work and it's copyrighted I can report you right but you know if you're just saying something into your phone one day it happens to be brilliant you know what's to stop somebody else from just saying it into their phone but right. yeah, you're right. The, the ethics of the internet are really, really terrible, and they're all over the place, and it's just full of deranged people. I think yeah, that the deranged people too. There is a lot of crazy people. There's a lot of uh, all that kind of stuff. But there's also the innocent. Uh, I just didn't know any better. I think I don't think there's. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know there there are people who when when explained to them, oh, I didn't realize, uh, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, the value, I, I kind of touched on it, the value of comedy, I think, as society, and I know I sound like a broken record to, to a lot of people who listen to this, but um, I think as a, a society, we've, we don't fully comprehend or understand the value of comedy and humor or art, creative art in any sense. And mm -hmm. so we, we belittle it and we think of it as, well, it's not building a house. It's not, you know, it's not a doc. They're not healing people. And I do think comedy is healing and music is also healing. But I think people just get that mindset. And that's why comedians especially get taken advantage of. Musicians get taken advantage of to a hard degree. But I've never seen anybody in any profession that gets taken advantage of or uh, devalued the way uh, comedians do. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think also, um, 
there's unfortunately because of the the way the internet is structured now anybody can kind of get on and you know say hateful things you know i think it kind of like brings to light a lot of issues that we have like in the country in terms of like if people are triggered by a woman speaking you know i have people get on my clips and say like women aren't funny i've always said it and it's like you know you don't have the introspection to realize that you you have a hatred for women you know and it's just it's like you should you should have that you know you should be able to be like ah i don't like female comedy because um, I'm a man and this isn't for me, but that doesn't mean that women are, you know, they have smaller brains, for example. So yeah, I do definitely agree with that. And I think that um, I think it's part of the appeal of people going online is that they're able to have an outlet for hateful emotions that they can't express <laughs> to their boss or, you know, to their mother-in-law. And I hope that people, I hope that there is like a sense of ethics as we continue to like develop as the culture online, because it really sucks. You know, it's like performing in a space, of course, like I'm going to see a guy in the corner who's not laughing, but it's like, at least he's not like standing up and telling me that I'm going to die alone because I've made a joke about maybe not having kids. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, I don't know if this will help you at all, but <laughs> that guy who's not laughing, he might find you very funny but I, because I've been to shows and I've I've done shows, and where I said, man, the crowd is just not with me tonight. And then after the show, they, they come up and you were great. I'm like mm -hmm. really, how come you didn't even smile a little? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I would not. I know the feeling because I I will sweat on stage if I see that if I see somebody's not reacting and I'm I'm working hard I'm thinking man I'm just blowing it here and I start to sweat I feel the sweat on the back of my neck <laughs> and then yeah. at the end of the show it turns out oh, they loved you well maybe they just were low energy and not not able to display it that night you get all I wouldn't assume that that guy sitting there doesn't think yeah. you're funny <laughs> well it's also okay with me if he doesn't you know because comedy my specific stand-up I'm not making it for everybody and it's certainly not for a guy who kind of doesn't like women you know in the in it already so right. it's okay I think to not like stand-up because it is very objective in the same way that painting are subjective yeah uh, of one. course comedy is all subjective music yeah. is subjective art all all yeah. art is subjective we can't um, all love tori amos okay okay <laughs> all right oh uh, well well uh you know what i man you picked one from the past i don't i don't <laughs> i haven't seen her performing anywhere or doing anything recently but i'll, I'll go down the tori amos road <laughs> um women in comedy somebody um I don't know if it was Jeffrey Gorian the other day. Maybe it was J.P. Leonard talking about um, women, for especially the road, is a, a bigger challenge for women uh, as opposed to a guy can just uh, doesn't care. He can get in his car and drive to a, a city for one night and then be gone. Women definitely have more security issues that complicate road work. Is there anything to that? Because I've been thinking about that. I don't know which guy said it to me, but... Uh, does that the opportunity because he, according to his theory, women need weekends at a place rather than doing like a Thursday night in Oshkosh or something. Okay. Is it is there something to that? 
I don't, I don't drive. I mean, I will like rent a car every once in a blue moon. So I, I don't do a lot of those shows anyway, but I think like as a woman, I will say I'm kind of scared all the time. So like, even like walking home late at night, you know, I'm just, ah, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter if I'm out in a town. I don't know. I'm still the same amount of scared as I am, you know, with like, if my boyfriend's not home. Really? So I think, um, you know, as a woman, you just do have to observe any woman who travels alone. You have to observe different rules, like never tell anyone where your hotel is. You know, always you always need to Google the reviews of your hotel before you go just to make sure it's not like something that's unsafe. But I think I don't think that I don't think that headlining on the road for women is really more of a challenge than just being a woman in general. Okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't, I've never been, so um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, that makes sense. But you know, we try, I try because I, I, before you came on, I was talking about people always asking me about my uh list of uh, favorite comedians, and they're almost always guys. Like, give me your top 10 comedians, and people will give you every, every one of them's a male in mm -hmm. there. Like, and they're all oh, well there's a separate list for female comedians. I was like, mm -hmm. no, comedians yeah. are comedians. And I, Emma Kay, who was on the program last week, she uh, said she won an award for, uh, set, she came in second for best female comedian in New Jersey. I, I wouldn't yeah. even, <laughs> I wouldn't even enter that contest. I would insist that, you know, uh, it's just weird that in 2023, we were still segregated in comedy yeah. by, by yeah. gender. It's, it's so weird. It is. Well, I mean, I think that you will, everything is changing now. You know, like I said, the landscape is changing and there's a lot more diversity and there's inclusion and that's great. But I do still think that certain groups like someone more who looks like what their idea of a comedian is, right. you know, so it's like somebody that looks like Jerry Seinfeld or somebody, you know, like a, a skinny guy going up on stage or, you know, the, to them, they already see him as, oh, this guy's a comedian. Whereas maybe somebody who looks different from that, they're kind of already starting off in a hole where the crowd is like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe like a woman in her 70s or something, you know, just coming out on stage and people think like, oh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to like this person. And maybe she's able to win them over. But, you know, there is definitely, um, there's definitely a social element to it. I've had people, it's so funny to me, I've had people come up to me after I performed and said, we did not think you were going to be funny at all, but we loved you. And I'm like, wow, that's it. Why, why wouldn't you think that I would be funny? You know, I kind of. Here's a backhanded compliment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't seem like you would be funny at all. Well, I mean, well, not to strangers. I'm not going up to people on the street, like yucking it up. That just, you know, that's unhinged, but. What about, cause I, back, uh, Three years ago, I wrote a, a piece about, about Erica Rhodes and what I thought was uh, really special about her was that she was not catering to the what I saw a lot of female comics do at that time were trying to be like the men, like trying to be out vulgar men out, you know, be out locker room men type of thing. Uh, I don't see it as much anymore. Maybe it's just it, it, that kind of was a passing thing. Maybe I'm just not noticing anymore. But I did feel like at some point, a lot of female co uh, comedians were coming out trying to be more male in their performance or or 
you know, just their demeanor and stuff. Did, did was I wrong or did that pass or is, is it still a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it, but I will say that like a late night comedy club crowd, maybe people, for example, who are tourists who are not familiar with the like the art of stand up. They're coming to a comedy club. There's something that's very exciting and titillating about hearing um, phrases that you wouldn't hear in polite conversation. So I think like a lot of you can come in and if you're struggling with a crowd that maybe doesn't get your jokes or they don't get your unique perspective, they're going to get, you know, your joke about. I don't know what I'm allowed to say on here, but you know, they're going to get, yeah, you're allowed to say anything you want. Well, they'll, they'll get, you know, they're going to get your joke about ass eating, you know, and just even by just saying ass eating and looking yes. like me, you already are kind of people are like, just, Oh my God, I can't believe she said it. You know, like there's, we have a mom talking about cunnilingus, you know? So it's like, it's, it's a shortcut to humor and it is a, like a tactic that sometimes I think you kind of have to use you know, like, I think, I think sometimes like men come to the stage and, you know, they're able to do these, get this kind of pass from the audience that whatever he thinks is brilliant and smart because he looks like a comedian and he looks like what we think a comedian looks like. And he can do jokes about chewing gum and tying his shoes and, you know, oh, I fell down the steps. Oh, you know, these type of jokes, the crowd can be really with him. And then a woman comes on and immediately she's in a hole. So right. she's got to do what she needs to do to make sure she can keep working at the club. You know, it's like I can bomb talking about my linen closet, but, you know, <laughs> not for that long because I'll, I will be out of work. You know? yeah, right. So it's like we've all had to, I think, kind of dig deep and, um, you know, ask somebody if they uh, uh, swallow, right. um, you know. Well, my wife could handle a lot of stuff, but I don't think I don't think she's ready for ass eating jokes. Uh, <laughs> and it. I, I have to test this out some night where I know a, com a comic is doing that kind of material and, 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 and take her. But when you just said the word and I started to giggle because yeah. my, my generation, I'm a very old, uh, old guy and my generation, it wasn't a thing. Nobody, it's like it, it was invented sometime around 1995, <laughs> I guess, or something. And all of a sudden it's like, it's the yeah. number one on the menu now. <laughs> it's so yeah. weird. And it's num yeah, it's number one for on your sex joke menu as well. It's a very popular topic. Wow. wow. Um, but so you, you're not a stranger. You know, you're not uh, uh, adverse to saying uh, occasional profanity or any of that stuff. Uh, but you are capable of having a conversation without every other word. Uh, you know being an f-bomb or something i find that a lot of comedians and you you'll see they'll take their language from the street and they will go up there and generally not be able to get through a sentence without two or three f-bombs in it and i think that you know once you get conditioned to that mm -hmm. it loses its power when you mm -hmm. say it in the middle of a, a well, I'm not going to point out your material because you might still be using it. But if you say it in something that seems like just uh, you're talking about a life situation that you're in, and then at the end <laughs> you throw in an F bomb, it becomes powerful. Words yes. lose their power when you overuse them. And they I think, do. Yeah. They absolutely do. I worked a club. I remember this was years ago. It was a club in Indianapolis, and they would do an open mic there, and they would say, You cannot say the F word, you can say it two times in your five minute set and then anything else is it's way too much. And 
I love that. I love, I love a classy style of standup. I love, you know, like the Vegas setting and, and nightclubs. And I love bringing a classy energy of people out on a Saturday night, living their best life and having a fun event. And I like to bring that type of energy. You know, I, of course, I like to do these like bar back rooms or whatever to practice and, and be casual, but I still like to bring that energy because I think that's kind of authentic to myself. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you being here. Now you have a podcast as well with, with uh, Sarah. I can't pronounce Sarah's last name. Talamash. Yes. Talamash. We have a podcast. It's called lady journey and um, it's for everyone. Everyone can be a lady. That's what we say on the show. And uh, we, we're really excited. We have a lot of cool guests coming up. Sarah is in her second trimester. So that's the journey that we will be going on. Wow. And uh, we'd love people to listen. We have a Patreon. We're on YouTube. We're on Apple Podcasts. Is she your best bud? Uh, or she, you know, you're very close with her. Yes. I mean, obviously, you're doing a podcast together. So I'm just curious about: Are you going to be like aunt to her kid? I mean, oh, of course. Oh, I'll be right there. So, because you do talk about, you know, not having children and and the. Um, I I appreciate the freedom and 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 just the uh, great lifestyle that can be because uh, a lot of people, you know, they I think sometimes we should have children. If you're going to have children, you should have them later in life. So you get to experience your youth. You blow your whole youth, you know, running after little kids. Does it uh, will that you are you afraid that will change your attitude? You fall in love with this kid and think I'll have to have one now. Well, I mean, I'm still very much on the fence about having kids, you know, for myself, like I'm I might have a birthday coming up, you know, so um, it's it's hard. I think it's really hard to be put in a position where you have to make a huge life choice. And um, last year, I said to myself, I said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take a year, I'm going to really carefully consider whether I want to have kids or not. And then at the end of the year, I will follow through with my plan. And then I immediately had a breakdown. I, I went to Taco Tuesday, had a, one too many margaritas, which was three, and uh, just started crying because I felt like, oh, my God, the pressure. It's a huge amount of pressure that we're putting on ourselves to be like, either I'm going to live in regret or I'm going to be exhausted all of the time. So I'm in therapy now. I have a different therapist. And I am trying to move forward, loving my life and feeling abundant no matter what path I go down. Well, I appreciate uh, you being open about that. You know, a, a lot of comedians are open and actors are open about being in therapy. Musicians not, generally not. They're very close to the vest about that stuff. Uh, but I think it's really important for anybody in the creative arts to be uh, have some kind of therapy, some kind of outlet. Uh, you, you agree with that? That it's oh like, yeah. yeah, I think everybody should be in therapy at least a little bit. You know, because we don't we don't learn life skills in school, so it's really the only place you can go to learn about yourself and learn about how to cope with your triggers. Right. Uh, well, again, I do appreciate you being on the program this morning. I, I, I'm a big fan. I will. I can't wait to get into New York City to see you live. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know I'm getting inundated with the reels, but one minute is just not enough. It's a tease. It's a it's a tease. But, yeah. you know, I want to see the full show and I look forward to that. And I appreciate you being here. I hope people will support you. KatieHannigan.com. Uh, you can find out about the podcast link right there and where wherever you're playing or uh, performing. Uh, and right now, I mean, just those three clubs uh, or, or 
other stuff you want to mention before we say goodbye? Well, I, I would love to mention, I do actually have my full special available called Feeling of Emptiness. It is a the special version of my album that's on YouTube. Um, I'll be performing in Indianapolis, August 11th. I will be performing in Raleigh, North Carolina, September 7th. And then you can check out my, um, my Instagram, my website, everything else for my dates. I might, I might see you in Raleigh before I see you in North Carolina. My brother yeah. lives in Raleigh and I've been, uh, you know, he, he's, he's an older guy and he's, mm -hmm. uh, he, kind of lonely anyway i've been trying to get him to go to comedy shows down there september september 7th he said let me mm -hmm. see this uh yeah i'm gonna go to that show oh my gosh <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait to meet you uh, I can't it's wait. gonna be a fun weekend i'll be headlining just the thursday but then i'll be opening for dan soder at good nights oh very cool. good nights that's what i was gonna yeah. say that's mm -hmm. the club that everybody goes to down there that's a yeah. that's, that's the best one down there well i i do appreciate it again i i know i said thank you but thank you again well, thank and again you. It, thank you thank you i enjoyed having coffee with the dog thank you <laughs> we'll, we'll see you in raleigh okay bye for now Katie Hannigan, folks, uh, really, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. I hope you appreciate that. Uh, in a few moments, Robert Taylor will be joining me. I'm uh, going to play uh, Coffee with the uh, Dog commercial here so uh, I can freshen up a bit. I, the coffee is a little bit better than it was the first round. Uh, but here you go. Oh, by the way, katiehannigan.com. Check that out. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. MindDogTV.com slash coffee. Get your cold coffee. It's the best coffee in the world, even when your wife puts poison in it in the morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, Katie Hannigan, I, you got to check her out. If you're not familiar with her, uh, please do uh, check out her work. I think you will enjoy it. Listen, have I ever steered you wrong when it comes to comedians? No. You can say, um, I'm not going to... Uh... <laughs> Maybe I dug myself in a hole there. Uh, I I have not. I just wanted to mention briefly before I bring uh, Robert in that um, the hate mail from the Joe Rogan stuff. People saw the clip yesterday, and I, again, the traffic numbers on the clip don't seem to in, indicate that I would generate this much hate mail. But people are saying that I was guilty of the same thing that I was accusing Rogan of because I said. I did not know what the solution to climate change was. 
And I don't, I don't, I, it's just baffling because I got at least three or four of these saying the same thing when I said, listen, I don't know uh, um, basically enough to offer any kind of solutions. I don't even know that mankind is definitely, I, I suspect we are uh, the major contributor, but I don't know that it's not just not cyclical. We've had ice ages, we've had hot periods on, on Earth. I don't know. And I'm not a scientist, so but I leave it up to those people. And that's what I said. I didn't say that because what Rogan did, he flat out claimed that somebody, Greta Thunberg, had predicted that the oceans would be boiling and we'd all be dead now. That it was a direct lie, a complete fabrication. That is very different than me saying, I'm no expert in this. I have my beliefs and my opinions about it. But I'm not an expert in it. I do believe climate change is absolutely real. I think it's it's um, it's observable reality. Uh, but what the solutions are and whether we can actually uh, execute solutions is something I was questioning. That's not the same as saying, well, well so-and-so made this prediction and it hasn't come true. And the, the prediction was never made. It was completely fabricated. She didn't say it. James Anderson said something similar to that, but not that, and it was a completely different meaning. Uh, so it was a complete fabrication. Uh, so if you're going to write back to me now, uh, uh, today, make sure you address that part of it. I got to play Robert's theme song. I can't let him in without playing this theme song. Um, where is this theme song? Here, here it is. <laughs> And thank you for your service, sir. How are you? Hey, man. So you sent me that clip yesterday, uh, the Rogan and Segura thing. I, I'm just like, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. It, it was just a, it was, what the? And the, the takeaway from me, well, not all the crap that they were saying, was just like, what's the value in this? Why do people find this valuable? What What value does this offer anybody's life to seeing two guys who don't know what they're talking about talk about what they don't know about for two and a half hours uh do you have any uh, <laughs> any guess to what what value people might be getting from something like that i don't know man uh apparently well you know what too <clears throat> like i'll listen to if i'm on the road going somewhere i'll load up a couple podcasts and listen to him. And, I, you know, I like listening to Rogan when he's interviewing someone, you know, that I want to hear what they have to say or whatever. He does some good interviews. But I swear to God, man, he – I was listening to one last week. I can't remember who was on there. And it, 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 it almost never fails that about halfway through – I don't care who he's talking to. He can talk to a scientist – he can be talking to a comedian. He can be talking to a guy on the street. But at some point, that every show turns into the same thing. He starts talking about the conspiracy theories and how the government lied to everyone about the vaccine. And, and then some of these people are sitting there like they don't want to go there. On the, and you can tell they're like trying to shy away from the topic a little bit on the interviews and stuff. But he's got to fill his, his podcast go for two or three hours. So he's got to fill time on there. And I guess he just 
That's what he knows. That's yeah, what he, he knows. Goes, yeah, he just goes with whatever he can get, you know, get him talking about or whatever. I felt like Segura probably – I'm, I'm obviously reading way too much into this, but I'm looking at Tom Segura and I'm thinking in the back of his mind he's saying, I'm not going to do this again. Yeah, you can tell. I'm- you can tell <laughs> when they – when uh, I mean, the, the, the headline of the uh, short is France is collapsing. Right, <laughs> and he get he gets he says, "Man, have you seen what's going on in France?" He said, "The, the, the places they're rioting, they're burning the place down." And Segura's like, "What? What? I was just over there. What? What are you talking about?" And uh, he says, "Yeah, uh, they murdered some kid." He literally says that in the thing. He says, "They murdered this kid." Right. And then and then Segura's like, "What? What do you mean?" And then like a couple seconds later, what Rogan says. Well, I'm not sure exactly what happened. <laughs> and then he read the article, and he, and he still he wasn't sure. It, but he didn't read it. He 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 sped read it or whatever you want to call it, and skipped yeah. over things. And he, he he kept jumping to this and this and this. But it starts off and says that the cops stopped the stopped someone for speeding, whatever they stopped them for. And they were the cop was leaning in the car, and the guy took off, and then it, it was a chase. Right. And the thing I you know. But the one thing I always say is, you know, from traveling over there and spending time over there is that as Americans, we tend to think that the world revolves around what we do. Like everyone adheres to the same laws that we have over here and stuff when they don't. Right. Uh, uh, So you you have to put things in perspective of how cops react in France as to how cops react in the U.S. They don't have the same policies and procedures over there that we have and they don't have that citizens don't have the same laws they're not required to do the same thing we are here or they might have actually be honest my experiences is that the citizens over there have way less freedoms than we have here when it comes to responding to law enforcement right you know yeah well, there's a whole bunch of things, and and it's funny you should talk about uh, the United States, the American perspective on the world, because Vinny uh, Vanelli was in Manhattan, Times Square, doing a man on the street piece that I'm editing. I'll probably be I'll probably debut it on Monday because it's a lot of editing that's going into this thing. But he's uh, getting the Canadian American, um, getting a gauge of a, a Canadian American. Uh, relations and all this stuff. And he's interviewing Americans and asking them about Canada. Americans know nothing no, about don't know Canada. We don't know and, but he's about also interviewing Canadians about America, and Canadians know everything about America. We don't, we don't know anything about anybody else but us. Right. We, don't, we don't care about anybody else but us. The world revolves around us. It's, you know, like if you see a, the tidal wave hits Fukushima and the nuclear plant, Disaster, all that. The first thing we're worried about is how's that going to affect us? You know, yeah. how, how are the people over there? You know, do they need help? Or anything? it's like, is that going to screw our water up? You know, it's like we don't care. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's it's funny because you know uh, he's even asking about uh, you know he has one a couple of women uh, from California about uh, the Canadian national anthem, and then one said she knew it, and she started singing the British. National anthem. <laughs> God save the Queen. So it's, it's just it's funny. I mean, people we don't know are even our neighbors to the north. So how could we be expected to know anything about Europe uh, if we don't even know our own neighbors, right? Directly to the north. Well, One of the things, and I'm not going to 
maybe I shouldn't say it. Uh, I was compelled to, so I'm going to say it. Canada, Canada. Um, they drink milk from a plastic bag. They, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I was at, for three summers before COVID. I was in Switzerland, and uh, yeah, they they had they, the milk isn't in a refrigerator either. They keep it on the shelf, and the eggs too. The eggs aren't refrigerated. Wow. Yeah. That- well, you would think in Canada maybe it's so cold. <laughs> I always think it's so. Right now it's hot as hot as hell up there. But I, I, you know, when we think of Canada, I always just think it's too cold for me. I, you know, so I was just thinking maybe because when I went to school in in Brockport, New York, I was only one semester there. But it snowed every day, and I didn't need to get a refrigerator because I was on the third floor, third floor of a building. But it snowed over the entire building. All I had to do was open my window and put <laughs> put this stuff out the window because uh, you know, I had a snowbank. You know what? What drives me crazy what, when I was over there was, you know, I run in American tourists would come over there, and you know, we we think we have a bad rap overseas or whatever. But why would you why would you pay all that money to travel, fly that far, pay for hotels, this this, and then um, not want to embrace the the local culture? You're, all, you're like, what do you mean they don't have coke here? You know, or uh, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I saw a couple go off in a restaurant because the restaurant didn't have Coke. They only yeah. had, they, I don't know if they had Pepsi, but whatever, you know, they're like, what do you mean you don't have that? Everybody has Coke. So if, why would you travel all that way if all you want to do is do the same thing that you did at home? That's true. But I, I will say uh, any place in Vietnam, you can get Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's available everywhere. Um, yes, you also sent me t- a couple of days ago. The uh, Rick Beato, uh, Christopher Cross oh, yeah. uh, video. Now, I want to talk to you about that because, first of all, he's telling stories in there that, and I know they're true, or I believe they're true. He's telling them, uh, and I, I don't have any reason to doubt him, but he's telling stories that if a guy in a bar were telling you that story, it would be like, this is total bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah they were incredible, but the people that he's talking about are still alive. Most of them, like Jimmy Page, and they could. And, Richie Blackmore, I can talk to. Uh, I can I mean, I he used to run an open mic here before COVID. He used to run an open mic just about twenty minutes, not even twenty, fifteen minutes from my house. Uh, and uh, the only rule he had there was no smoke on the water. Nobody plays smoke on the water. On this open <laughs> mic. But the idea that he subbed for Richie Blackmore yeah. on their very Deep Purple's very first American gig, um, uh, you know what? I never knew Christopher Cross as a you know, a, like a, a great guitarist, right? I, I just know him as a singer and songwriter. And I remember when he first made it, quote unquote, made it. Uh, he was doing uh, Tom Snyder on the Tomorrow Show, an interview, and he was talking about you know being thirty years old before he actually made it. That was unheard of before. He, he was like the first guy because if you're going to make it as a rock star, you do it as you. you teens or 20s yeah and uh but so i never at that time i was just thinking of him as an like acoustic guitarist singer songwriter and then i'm finding out he's you know this total gearhead and electric guitar player soloist and that's him playing on ride like the wind the solo on that yeah yeah killer solo well that's what uh like i mess around with the guitar i'm no musician but even i was you know i could tell that rick beato knew that he knew what he was talking about, you know, when he was talking about, because at first he caught me off guard. I realized it took me a couple seconds 
to realize he was talking about a gauge on the guitar strings. Rick says, uh, you're, you're a 10, are you a 10 guy or a 12 guy or yeah. eight? And like, what, what, what is he talking about? And then, then he starts talking about his finger. I said, Oh, he's talking about the strings. Right. And, and, but Rick guessed what he was talking about. And, but then he talks about when, um, uh, Jimmy Page's roadie built him that amplifier. I think that's what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Amplifier that you couldn't buy. It was a custom amp, you know, and then shipped it to him. You yeah. That's unheard of, man, anything like that. Now. And that now this was a cool thing that he was saying that I wish we would have had this when I was a young man, that if a, a band came to town, it was a law in texas that yeah. they had to have a local band on the bill with them for 30 minutes 30 minutes yeah wow what i mean that would have changed my life because we struggled to get opening dates for for and it was always highly competitive of course but uh just just to get on uh, the opening slot for a major band was just like you know it was heaven it was what we all wanted to do if there was a law that said we had to do it i, I think my life would have at a different trajectory. I really do. Texas was probably the only place that had that law too. If you, you know, if you think about it. So but, for pe- hey. people who don't know what we're talking about, Christopher Cross, his first original band, opened up for Led Zeppelin in Texas seven times. Yeah. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy because uh, you know, too, man. I like I like the way Rick Beato will separate the tracks. Where you can only hear the bass, you can only hear the drums, you can only hear the vocals and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I said, I'm no, I'm no musician, but when he said he, he kind of breaks the music theory down, where you can understand a layman can understand what he's talking about. Because there's things like, uh, you know, we were talking about the twelve string guitar and stuff before, and when I go to the guitar store, I'll mess around with. It. I won't buy it because I, I can't, I don't think I can play it well enough. But I, I can't. I was always like, yeah, why did I love to? Why do I love that sound of that 12 string guitar? And then I was watching one show and Rick Beato's explaining the difference of the octaves and the strings and stuff like that, and why it why it differentiates itself and stuff like that. And that's why that Bon Jovi video, I thought it was a 12 string guitar. Right. A sound, just from the sound on there's it. Still, I, I'm convinced there's some bullshittery going on with that video. Because uh there's definitely, even with my deaf head. There is definitely a 12-string sound there. Whether uh, I think uh, it, there was a modeling guitar. One of those guitars was a modeling guitar, probably Sam Boris' guitar that he's playing. But they were both six strings. But it definitely, you know, it was some kind of bullshittery going on because it, it was the sound of a 12-string. Absolutely. You, you know what I thought was the craziest story that Christopher Cross told was how they came to that string intro in sailing did you hear that story yeah he said he said it was by accident that they were they had the strings on a separate track and they had the guitar his intro guitar with the acoustic and it it actually it didn't sync up right and they were sitting there in the studio and when they hit the thing the string started early uh, accidentally they started early accidentally and then the guitar came in and they're like wait a minute we gotta redo it or whatever and the guy's like no we're gonna leave it like that yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely good stuff. Some of the best things, 
uh, in recorded history happened by accident. Not all of them. I mean, some obviously there was a lot of intentional artistry going on with recording arts and all that stuff. But there are some a lot of cool stories in the history of recorded music that you know include accidents or uh, you know Bob Ross would call them happy accidents. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, amazing and Eric Johnson stuff and the the fact that he you know one of the things that they talked about which wouldn't make a difference anymore. But how do you got radio airplay? Uh, it, how important it was to have name studio musicians on your album in the liner notes so that the DJs would take notice of that yeah. and, and play it. And I think that's how he, he became a hit at 30 years old, which is old. It was an old man uh, it, then um, in, in music, but that's how he broke through. It's just by having all those great players, but to find out that he grew up with Eric Johnson and was friends with, it's just like all these guys who were super successful seem to have had childhoods that were linked to other super successful people. And yeah, I'm like, that's yeah. co coincidence or what? I don't know what to make of that. Uh, it was almost, know. well, actually it was even more weird than that whole Laurel Canyon thing out in LA back in the sixties. Right. You know, they they got to, they didn't grow up together. They, well, some of them might have. They got together, but he was like childhood friends. Right. With those kids. But you know what? I couldn't believe, man. I was sitting there watching the video or whatever. And then I Googled on his Wikipedia for something while I was watching. I couldn't believe he was 72 years old, man. He doesn't look 72 years old. No, he doesn't look 72 years old, but I, I, definitely believe that because i again i go back to that tom schneider interview i was 20 i was in my early 20s and he was talking about being 30 so i knew yeah. he was definitely that much older than me i'm maybe 21 at the time uh when i saw that interview and but it still sticks to, i can i can re see that interview happening right now and it, yeah. as clear as day in my mind those tom schneider uh, one of the forgotten guys, and he was a goofy old bastard. And Dan Aykroyd did him well on Saturday Night Live with his. But some of the best interviews ever on late night television. And yeah. when I first started doing a podcast, I was compared to to him being an older guy and all, and then having a old man perspective with some young musicians that I was um, interviewing. But yeah. I took that as a compliment, even though it was probably <laughs> meant to be an, an insult of some kind, yeah. like. Uh, I'll still watch. Um, I think it's called Me TV or something. It's one of those side peripheral channels. I don't have cable, but you can pick it up with rabbit ears. And I still watch. Comes on every night. Dick Cavett. Dick oh. Cavett. Yeah, and I tell you what, I watch some of those interviews from like the sixties and the seventies of, of Groucho Marx and uh, or musicians and stuff like that. But it's funny, especially when you said Tom Snyder, I remember, because he always had that cigarette in his hand. It's like, But even on Dick Cavett, these, these stars would come over and they're lighting up cigarettes and just blowing smoke in everybody's face. Yeah, all those uh, old television stuff where people always lighting up cigarettes all the time. It's, it's kind of funny to see. People do it on podcasts now, but uh, you, you don't see that on television ever. Nobody's ever smoking on television. I remember John Mellencamp on Letterman after he had his heart attack, yeah. came out, and he went to light up a cigarette, and Letterman just looked at, because it wasn't allowed. He was breaking yeah. a lot. I mean, fire, fire codes in New York City. Like, you're not allowed to do that. Here. And, like, what are you going to do, kick me off? You, I'm your guest here. I mean, you can't just kick your guest off. So yeah. he's at, he's at, and like, smoked, and, but, uh, 
Yeah, you don't see that anymore. And that's sometimes it's 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 a little refreshing to see some of that stuff where guys are just being themselves. Um, the other part of, of those things is, and I was thinking about this the other day. I might want to do this in the future. You have a guest on, and you they you just slide down the couch when the next guest comes yeah. on yeah. and still be part of the conversation. I think that's a cool thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I would make that work in this remote kind of way, but I would, you know, if I when I start doing uh, actual live in studio stuff, that might be something a, a way to go. Like bring out one guest at a time and slide down the couch, and we'll bring in the next guy. <laughs> you can do that. Well, you could do that almost like we did that uh, thing with JP on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Put multiple screens on there. Yeah, but it's not on a couch, and you didn't have to slide down. I just slid you over. Yeah, like I just true. slid you over like this. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, can't. Oh, look at that. You're like the Brady Bunch, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, during the Potathon, we had that going on. I think we had 10 people on at a time. Uh, oh, really? A, a, a couple of times, yeah. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. Anyway, this North Carolina thing in Raleigh, on uh, hey, Katie's going to be there on September 7th. Uh, any chance you can make that? <laughs> oh, we get to hang with you. If you go over there, I'll go, I'll go watch the show at very least. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be cool, man. Good to, it would be good to hang with you. I mean, I know you're probably probably several say, uh, hours away from how far are you from Raleigh? It's about three hours. My brother lives there. Um actually uh on September seventh, I'm actually performing in um Greensboro, North Carolina, which is oh, like an wow. hour it's like an hour from there. So if oh. I could, if I go up early enough, I could just drive over there probably. Wow. I I wish I would have known that because uh, you know what I would buy my brother tickets to that one right. I'm, on, I'm actually doing September seventh and ninth. The seventh is on a Thursday, I think, or something. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, they're having the North Carolina Comedy Festival in Greenville. Wow. Yeah, that's what that is. But I, I, they'll probably put me up early. I just drive over there. It's probably they'll probably have they'll probably have two shows of his Dan Soder at Good Nights. So they'll probably do like a seven. Seven and a nine, or seven thirty and a nine thirty, or something like that. Right. Uh, the the news of the day yesterday. I just wanted to get your take on this. Now, cocaine was found in a uh, <laughs> tourist a tourist tub storage tubby at the where they give you the tours of the White House, and you know, of course, the news was making a big deal of this. But the Secret Service or some law enforcement guy said it's unlikely the uh, culprit will ever be found. I mean, could you pick out a cocaine? If I gave you a list of people and you could like look up their history and see about them, how hard would it be to figure out at least top five suspects and then you go have a conversation with them and you find out how hard could it be to actually... I I saw, I was reading that story last night. It's actually, uh, it wasn't the general tour thing. It was in the West Wing. It's It's where only the people that work there can bring friends or family in. That's who. So it's, oh, that, that changes it, was not, it. It wasn't regular tour, so ne- they can narrow it down to. It's like a cubby hole where you put your purse or you put your phone and stuff like that. The people who work there don't have to put their stuff there. It's it's the guests who have to leave there. So that's so, a much smaller number they, to narrow yeah, it down. So they, they can narrow it down to an even smaller pool. Yeah, yeah. and you know what? Some people who are. I don't know. I want to say on the left, but they're not really on the left. They're just a- anti-Trump people, and because it's it's the Trump people who are, are like this is really important. 
they are they're trying to protect Biden in this uh, like saying it's a, not an important story. But I think as long as they're saying we can't identify who it is, it feels like they're covering something up. I think it's important to just say uh, say who the person is. No, I'm not. It should be a major prosecution or anything. I mean, coke well, is what yeah. it is. Well, it's a possession. What the thing is too. Because I saw so I saw someone I know on my Facebook thing posted something like, "Yeah, you know it was Hunter Biden or something like that." And I'm sitting there thinking, read the art. First of all, they don't have to go. It, it, the president's kids or relatives or actually chief the, the staff, his you know immediate staff, they don't have to go through that thing. They're not right, and, and they don't have to leave their stuff in the cubby hole if you read the story. So it wasn't somebody on the staff or whatever. It was someone they brought in. They came in with a uh, someone who worked there, you know, whatever, and they could probably find out who it is. But somebody that means someone's head's going to roll. If they I, do, I do think it's important to find out who it is, yeah. only because they, if not, then it's going to be a conspiracy theory. And my conspiracy theory will be, will be this: if they're gonna, if they're going if we have to have a conspiracy theory, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna put one out there that Donald Trump trying to make Biden look bad had somebody go there. <laughs> he bought it for them and told them, "Yeah, go bring him, leave the cocaine there, and we'll, we'll tell him it was Biden's." That's <laughs> that's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm Take telling that. you, I'm so, I'm so, and this stuff's only gearing up because we got another year until the election. I'm so sick sick of this crap. Honestly, we need to just clean house, man, and just of everybody. And, and well, I, I don't disagree with you, but you know what does that really mean? I mean, can't we can't just you can't just start America over again? No, no. You? I mean, I mean, we need to. <laughs> We need some fresh faces. We need some, I, I mean, fresh Republicans, fresh Democrats, fresh Libertarian. We need a fresh crop coming in who has who has skin in the game yeah. in the future, who has future skin in the game. These right. guys in here now aren't worried about the future. They're, they're probably not going to live to the next year, to the election. Who knows, man? But we, oh, need, yeah. we need people in there who have kids that are going to be in the game and they're thinking about their kids' future and they're thinking about down the line a little bit because that's not the case now, man. I, I How cool would it be if I actually won this congressional race that I'm, I, I mean, and you uh, see uh, like me on CNN, just cursing these fuckers out and getting in all, or getting censured and, and thrown, <laughs> thrown out of Congress for just calling them all a bunch of fucking corrupt bastards. And, you know, yeah, you know I, I used dragging to, I used, me out. <laughs> I used to tell people all the time, because all they do is, even at the local races, all they do is they just try to find dirt on you. I said, hey, if I ran for anything, I don't care what it was, I'd take out a whole page ad in the newspaper, right? You know, and I'd list everything I ever did that anyone <laughs> could hold against me. I mean, everything. And just yeah. say, hey, vote for me. This is what I did. You know, and then they couldn't find anything on me. And then they need to vote for me or not vote for me, you know? Uh, I'm doing the same thing. And listen, a lot of my stuff is already out in this podcast. They could go back and look, listen to uh, I talk about things I've done that were illegal that I never got caught for. I've never been arrested. But I'm the product of a criminal family. My father was a bookmaker racketeer. And my mother got arrested with him because she was taking phone calls and bets for him. Uh, and this is my, my life story. I ran away from home when my parents were in jail. 
<laughs> came home from ninth grade and my both my parents were in federal uh, custody. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, the, the, all my secrets are out there. So, yeah, I have lots of skeletons in my closet. I'm, I'm not a good dude, but at least I uh, will, you know, hold their feet to the fire and, and just go to Congress and say, you're not working for the people. You're working to get reelected. You're working for special interest. You're not working for the people who elected you. And that's what you were, were elected for. So get to work. And that would be very unpopular. Somebody said I would get killed if I if I run on that platform. Well, that would be a good thing to have on my tombstone. When the guy who got killed for uh, calling out corruption in Washington. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll put a statue up of you or whatever in Long Island. Yeah. yeah. Should... Uh, uh, anything uh, of note in, in going on in the comedy world that that you piqued your interest uh, lately? Uh, in, anything that you've seen or any of that kind of stuff, videos or stuff that you've been uh, learning from? Um, I don't know, man. There's like a lot of tours cranking up again here for late summer and, and fall with a lot of uh, new um, specials about to drop there. I know uh, we'll bring it back full circle again. I saw um, uh, something yesterday or day before. They're saying, oh, man, uh, I forgot who it is. It's got a special coming out. Mark Norman's got one coming out, I think, in September. But then somehow or another, uh, it was on one of those um, uh, Rogan basher you know, now there's even people making a living off making videos about bashing Rogan on there now or whatever. Not just Rogan, every single yeah, podcaster. Yeah. They, but, they're, they, but they're saying that um that should Rogan should Rogan release his on YouTube or try to put it on one of the bigger things or whatever like that, because everybody's making their specials, even Mark Norman, unless I and they're trying to shop them around. But, but nobody's really buying them. It, you know, like they used to give you the big money for Netflix, but they're not doing that anymore unless you're some, you got to be like astronomically. Segura's on Netflix, right? The, the sledgehammer yeah, thing got, that he just got to deal with them. He's got to deal with them. Right. So many specials, like uh, so did uh, Chappelle and uh, maybe, um, God, I can't even remember off the top of my head now. But uh, maybe Burt Kreischer, too. I don't know. But a few of them had deals up front. I think right. Ricky Gervais did, too, where they had to do so many within a certain amount of years and pump them out. And that's why they're pumping them out one a year to fulfill their contract. But a lot of these guys are going the YouTube route because if you've got a really good special and you can market it out there, you can make more money on YouTube. Can you? I don't think so, man. You'd have to get – even if you get – a hundred million views. What is that? That's uh, six hundred thousand dollars. A hundred million yeah, views. They're not, but they're not. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of views. <laughs> well, Mark, I think Mark Norman's got like so. It's like some ridiculous number on that special he put out a couple years ago on YouTube. Like, I don't want to Joe Rogan it and throw some figure out there that I don't know for a fact. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot, but you know what? They could do like Louis C.K. Man. And put it on their website and make you pay ten bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's only because so, people only have so much disposable cash. I mean, you can't you can't uh, you know patronize or support everyone that you like, especially if you're a big fan of the uh, art form. Because, like I, I wasn't saying, to, uh, Katie, my if somebody asked me top ten comedians, I can't do it because my top I've lived too many people it'll out. Change. I have to go it'll change 100. every day. Yeah, yeah. 
you see something on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It seems like uh, there's even more people coming out with podcasts too, man. It's just saturated. It's just oversaturated. You, you can't, you don't have disposable income. You don't have disposable time where you can, honestly, I, you know, I used to have like two or three podcasts I'd check out every week on here and stuff like that. Now, freaking every time I click on one, I'm like, oh, wait, what's this one over here? Let me go check this one. And now you got I got to choose, pick and choose between which podcast I'm going to watch because I only have enough time to watch podcasts. I think um, Ice Cube must be having something coming out because he was on Rogan last week. He's on Bill Maher's podcast this week. Three or four things I've seen him on. So I, I know Ice Cube pretty well now after this past week or so. Um, maybe he's got a movie coming out, some comedy or whatever. But honestly, man, I'm uh, I was yeah, trying well, to focus on writing and stuff like that. I don't think I'm getting into the the Boston and the Detroit uh, side. You don't think so? Nah, unless if I do, it'll be a last minute thing. And they tend to like just pick people from the local area that can drive over there. Wow, you know that'll show up or whatever. So. That's kind of disappointing uh, if you don't make Boston, because I was I was kind of hoping you you would just you know uh, Boston is the place, man. I mean, when you talk about comedy, and we and we talked about New York City with with Katie before. New York is a definite different vibe than L.A., but I think Boston is. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like it's it's the gold star of. of, oh, yeah. Yeah. of you know, it's like it's like you know L.A., Boston, New York. The thing, the thing about it is, uh, the way the World Series works is that you send in an initial video, and they go grade all the videos and they rank it by your score and stuff like that. And then when it, when you apply for the satellites, they base it on that score. Okay, so you can resub, and then you can ask for feedback, and they'll give you all this feedback, and you can resubmit a video one time. Well, I, the video I sent in was like from a year and a half ago. It was I'm standing, I'm standing on a, a piece of just not as big as a coffee table. The stage wasn't literally. I, almost, I had to move the mic stand because I thought I was going to fall off. But I had a good set. But it, but it was just the video quality and stuff. So when they gave me my feedback, I did another show. I had just done another show where actually I had corrected most of the stuff that they re recommended anyway. So I sent that video, and. Uh, I was like, oh, can I get feedback on that? And Joe messaged me back. He said, we can only give you feedback on the first video because we got so many people or whatever. We wouldn't be able to do it. But he said, I'll tell you, you scored significantly higher on that second video. Right. So I guess they use the second video score. That's weird because I was I was just going to ask you, does the video even matter? Because they've seen you. It's the same people. No, that's what I'm – okay, that's what I'm getting to. Okay, so then – about a month or so later, I started getting picked for those satellites. And like I had that, they saw me three times, right? They saw me three times. And I even, I messaged Jason one time. I said, hey, man, when you, when you pick for the, 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 the remaining satellites in Vegas, do you take into account my performance that you see and stuff like that? He said, no, we have to go by your video score. So they don't even take that into account. Wow, that's and sucks. I had a and then I had a, a really I had a way better set in in Texas, and I've got the video should be here in another week or two, but I can't send in another video this year, so I have to wait until the end of this 
cycle to Vegas still, and then when they do it for next year, I can use that the newer video uh, for that. So they don't. Even, so I'm still, I'm still working on an older video, and they see me three. And here's the thing: some of those people that I was in the show with probably had better videos than I did, so they were ranked higher, and I got put in at the last minute because of cancellation. But I made it out of one of the rounds ahead of some of those people with, that probably had better videos than I did. Yeah. So, I, I, so it's kind of, I mean, I understand why they do that because if you start changing things in the middle of it, then you got to deal, you have a hundred thousand people email and say, wait a minute, you got to do it. So you got to, you got to like stick to whatever the rule is at the beginning. Yeah. I, I, I get I, it. I respect that. I respect that. But, I'm kind of I'm having to play by that rule, so all I can do is just sit back. I, there's nothing I can do to change it, other than uh, for Vegas I get those extra points on my onto my video score for Vegas. But I just got you know you just have to sit back and it's like there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how great of a set I have at one of those live shows and they see it. It doesn't matter because they only go by the video score. I don't like. I don't like it. I mean, I, I, I I'm not. It's not my really. I'm not complaining about. But I don't like the idea of judging people off video because video can be doctored. Even listen, you can't change the jokes you're saying, but you can add canned laughter in to make it seem like it. The response was all. You can make it seem better than it was in a lot of different ways with video. Video can lie to you. Where yeah. you well, see it with your own two eyes right in front of your face, you know what the reality is. Or well, also, too, the, the initial video I sent them was from March of 2022. Okay, yeah. that was over. That was a year ago, and half the material in there is I've even bumped up where it's much funnier, or I gotten rid of, or whatever. So I was kind of behind the eight ball, but then I had a newer video that I sent. And like, you know, like I said, I don't, you know, the rules are the rules. I'm playing by the rules, but it's kind of, it's kind of, um, I don't know. It's kind of frustrating when you go to one of those shows, you know, and, you're, and you know, you had a really good set, but you're thinking, but that's not going to help me get into the next satellite. And it's not going to help me because I, I see some of the people who are getting into the satellites and I'm like, yeah, they were in that, they were in that show with me when I moved on to the next round. Wow. You know, it's uh, Billy Bard's made a comment. They had a, better, they had a better initial video. That's you know, he said, Ice Cube is having Hollywood elite trouble, he's not being part of the club. Uh, Hollywood elite trouble. I guess I'm having Hollywood elite trouble too. They, I'm not part of the club. Yeah, um, he, he's got he's got the money though, he doesn't have to worry about being in the club. Yeah, right. Yeah, who, who cares about <laughs> yeah. the fucking club? Yeah, I'm the one who has to worry about getting in the club, right? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, wh what difference? Uh, who gives a fuck what the, I don't know, who the, even the Hollywood elite people are anymore? Like, Adam Sandler is one of the top grossing box office guys, one of the richest and most successful comedians at all. He's not considered Hollywood elite, you know? He, does, he, who he the doesn't fuck need him. The Hollywood elite? He doesn't need him. He's got so much money. He, he don't need him. He produces Man. his own movie. Louis C.K. produces his own stuff. Uh, yeah. They don't need Hollywood anymore. They right. don't need they don't need the studios because they sell their stuff on their uh, websites if they want to. They can they can stream their movies and sell it to s someone else. You know, yeah. You don't need that. Once you get power, man, it's yeah. like you said, it's like you said before earlier on. Hollywood isn't Hollywood anymore. 
Right. It's, it's everywhere. They have they're making movies here on the coast in South Carolina. They're making them in North Carolina, Wilmington over there. They they got studios over there now, man. It's like you don't. Right. And be in Hollywood. Here's the 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 weird and because it it sounds like I'm being a hypocrite here because I've talked to young comedians who were in the game for a short period of time and I tell them don't because they're all thinking I got I got to do a 30 minute special and blah 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 and I'm like no you don't want to do that wait until you got an hour of killer killer material right. be, before and make it special don't just go out there and do your club stand up act and call that a special. If you're going to do a special, make it a show. So my friend had who has this mansion with the speakeasy in it, I thought, wow, what a great place for a comedy special. And my first thought was, I'll find somebody I know who really, you know, comedian who has a killer hour. I will book them for this thing. I will get, uh, you know, I will bring the crowd. I'll do the filming and all this stuff and maybe make a deal with, you know, for some of the profits on this. I'm thinking as an entrepreneur. Uh, and I will get it placed on probably Amazon, which is the easiest one to be whatever. I don't, you know, Netflix is out of the question. Uh, um, Showtime's out of the question for a guy like me. But that what I was where I was thinking, and then I thought, fuck that! I could, I could do a my own comedy special now, and having never, well, I shouldn't say never, having not done stand up comedy in thirty five years and only done it three times and sucked at it, I could get up there and do it, and but with my video technique and my production technique. I can make it seem like a really compelling half hour or hour show that would fool people. And I could put it on the internet, kind of like a, like a prank, uh, pranking yeah. the internet on my comedy special. And I thought, yeah. well, that would be really a fun thing to do. Like, <laughs> Tell you, man, If I had that basement at my house, I'd be putting on shows every night. Yeah. And that's the place to sleep. But um, talking about, you know, you're saying, you know, you want to try to work and have this whole hour of killer material or whatever like that. And, and that's one reason that I, you know, I don't, I'm glad I did the World Series. I, I think, let me go to Vegas, I'll go to Vegas. That, But that was part of the reason I got in there was because of the, the feedback. I knew I was going to get, the, when they sent me the initial feedback on that video, I was like, oh man, this, this is pretty good. Uh, I want to, I want to, it, it shortens the learning curve. I mean, I got this material and I, I don't have enough opportunities around here for stage time even when i'm driving or whatever like that but that kind of that's kind of a shortcut for me to to um to edit that material because i get i get on stage in front of those guys even if it's only five minutes you know they're they're giving me all this, this feedback afterwards and then i do it again at the next one and then I'm, I'm you know punching it up each time so it, it shortens the learning curve for me to be able to, to uh for me it's the feature set i want to get like the killer 20 to 25 to 30 minutes where it says nonstop when I'm on the stage and I got the material. I just got to refine it. You know, right. It punched up. And that's, that's what they're helping me do. Yeah. So one, I, of the, yeah. one of the regrets from this morning uh, with Katie is cause there's never enough time with, with these people, but, uh, because she was talking about refining jokes. When she when she realizes she's bombing, she will change her material like in mid set and just saying, "Well, this isn't working." But I would you just mentioned refining material, and I think there is a point where you have to notice that 
because I have friends in, in music who just never release something because they're always trying to rework it. I just want to go back in and, and fix the, rework the, the backing vocals. I just want to just change the guitar uh, solo just a little bit. Like it can go on forever. There has to be some point where you draw the line and say, this is it. This is, this is the best this is going to get. And you stop tweaking it. And yeah. I just wonder how you know where you, when you get to that point. That's what, well, that's what, you know, that's why I say it's real important if when you if you're doing comedy that you learn how to write, right? And you learn what why people laugh at things and what triggers them to laugh and stuff. Because what I try to do is I try to spend as much time as I can writing it to where it's as funny as I can get it before I take it on stage. And I'll get it to a certain point where I'm like, man, it could be better, but I can't figure out I can't figure out what to do with how to make it better. So then I'll go do it on stage. And then almost always afterwards, or sometimes I'll just be sitting out in the, in the audience afterwards, or I'll be driving home and something will pop in my head. Like, oh man, if I would have done this, or if I, uh, I always, yeah, always. yeah. Every, or, every gig is, is that it's like I, in my drive home, cause I have a very long drive home almost after every gig. And it's always like, uh, I relive the bad parts of it and what could have been done better or not, not necessarily bad, but the things that weren't, I wasn't satisfied with, I'm reliving them. And but even it, if you think you got, you know, even if you think you got it perfect, you say, Oh man, that's it. I got it perfect. You'll get up there and, and it'll still happen. You'll still be driving home. You're like, Oh man, I could do this. I could add this. I could tag it with it. So you might as well just, you know, do the work. And the reason I say you try to get it as funny as you can writing, get on paper as funny as you can, because you only got five minutes or you only got 10, whatever you got. You don't want to be wasting time and, and going up there. So at least try to get it as funny as you can. So when you get up there, uh, one, you can, you, you shorten the learning curve. Also too, you'll have more time to do more material. Right. If, you, if you work that one down and condense it to where you're not wasting time. Otherwise, if you, if you do the first iteration of a joke, like, and not, and not try to work it out, you get up there you could be up there for a month or two work still working on the same joke because you started from zero and you're just, Oh, you know, every week. And you could like, man, if I could have done all that at home before I even got up there. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I respect most about you, and I don't think this is um, the rule anymore. I think it's an exception is that you do study the craft of comedy. I think a lot of people who have gotten in, especially since the people who started pandemic era type stuff they don't really uh study the craft of comedy at all they they go there and they're not really consciously making an effort to kind of understand how to structure a joke or any of the history that came before them or any of that stuff they just declare themselves a comic they're going through it it's a much slower learning curve when you have to go through it but learning by trial and error and not really you know, consciously studying it. And that's what, one of the things I uh, appreciate and respect most about your approach to this is that you do kind of put in the homework and say, you know, how would, how is this traditionally done? What are the rules and, uh, you know, guidelines for writing comedy and, and performing comedy? So, well, thanks. Well, for me, it's out of necessity because, you know, your left brain, right brain deal, logical, creative, or whatever. I'm not creative or I'm less creative than I am logical. Right. So for me, it's problem solving. 
It's problem solving. It's just like when I used to coach basketball or whatever like that. I, I break it down into to, into the science of it or, or how or, uh, here, we got videotape. Watch the videotape. Okay. People hate, I, you know, I hate watching myself on video too, but now it's gotten easier because I, I look at it as an opportunity and I look for weaknesses in the videotape. And when, once I start identifying things, my first thing is, all right, why was that weak? And that's based on theory, comedy theory, of what people have done in the past and why things work and why things don't work. And I'll say, all right, that's why it didn't work. Or from feedback, like I get from the World Series of Comedy, they say it didn't work because of this, or, or you maybe you could try this. And I'll say, okay, I'll try it. I'll, I'll do this and this. Then I'll take it back on stage, and I'll try it out, and maybe it works better. And I'll say, okay, that was better. How can I do this, this? And so I'm, I'm, it's, it's like it's like you're in some lab, some chemistry lab, and you're, you're changing one little ingredient, and then you're bringing it back again and trying it on the mice. You know, and you're hoping the mice don't die. And then you then you change it a little bit here. And it's, it's, you have to keep refining it. And you, it, what basically what it comes down to is patience. You have to have – and, and the reason, going back to what you're saying, people that started COVID during comedy and, you know, that, and, you know, almost anyone can get on stage the first time. And especially when they say, oh, doing comedy for their first time, that's going to get you laughs just for going up there. People feel sorry for you. But you can go up, you can go up there and you can get a few laughs and it might last for a month or two. But at some point you gotta learn how to write comedy and you gotta learn why you're funny or not funny and how why people laugh and why they don't laugh. And that's what weeds people out. You know, it's a long game. Comedy is a long game, and you have to be patient and you have to understand and you have to always be learning and, and getting better and learning how to I mean, I'm telling you, man, look at some of these guys who are still in the game. They've They've reinvented themselves over and over and over, and, and, they, and they've changed things, and, and they're patient. They understand that. I mean, like Louis C.K., he'll go up at the comedy cellar with, with things that he knows are going to bomb. He knows he's going to eat shit, but he just wants to see if there's something there because right. he, knows that, he knows that if they groan at the joke, that they had, that okay, that means they had a reaction to the joke. There's right. something, there's something there. And you have to, the, with the stuff I do, a lot of the stuff people were just looking at me like, Jesus Christ, what are you serious? What? what, you know, they're like, are you serious? And I'm telling you, man, I, if I could find some of those old videos, I'd go up there and people like, even some of the comments were like, Jesus Christ, man. But I mean, I don't do that. Like, it's not as bad now, but if you're going to do edgy and dark stuff, you got to be willing to go up there thinking, okay, this is probably not going to work right now, but I got to go. I'm telling you, man, I'll go up like, uh, every week I've made it a habit now of going up into the one open mic where I write nine or 10 new jokes like the day or two before, just based on topical stuff. And I'll just do them. I'll make myself, if you look at those shorts I got up on YouTube right now, you're like, damn. Yeah. But I put in the, in the description I put on there, these are things, one-off jokes and stuff. I'm just, I'm just trying to work on some of them are horrible, but I'm just trying to show the process. Well, it's like Katie said too. I mean, there's nothing funnier than watching somebody you like struggle on for, for on a, on a comedy level, anyway. Not well, necessarily on a musical. I would hate to see hey, one of my guitar heroes just totally fucking not be able to play one night, or just totally fucking it up. Well, sometimes, sometimes at a show, like hopefully not a paid show, but you know, sometimes at an open mic or something like that, you know. They'll get big crowds of people to come in there to watch the open mic. 
and you'll do something on there and they just look at it and it's like and you feel bad for them because they're so uncomfortable they don't know what to do that, that joke was so horrible or it was you know it wasn't funny or it was just it was too dark and yeah. you like I, I said back in my head I'm like laughing in the back of my head because I feel I feel bad for, I feel uncomfortable for them I don't feel uncomfortable for me I never feel uncomfortable for me because I already know what I'm going to say it before I go up there. My thing is, uh, I, do, I tend to double down. Like if I if I if I say something and it's bad, then I'll double down on it. I'll double yeah. down. All right, let's see where this is going to go. And then it gets way uncomfortable. And then like maybe the the guy putting the show on later is like, man, he said, why didn't you why didn't you change? Why didn't you do something else? You could have done that other thing, or you could have done like this. I said. I don't come up. I said, if I can't work on the new material here, where am I going to work on it? I can't, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't bail out just because something new didn't work the first time I did it. Or uh, I said, it might work. I just got to figure out why it didn't work. Yeah. You know, then if you do it, you know, you hear people all the time say, they'll ask comics. I'll say, well, how many times will you try a joke before you just get rid of it? I got news for you, man. I got a stack of shit on the floor over here of stuff that's three or four years old. And every month or two, I'll go back through that stuff, just looking to see if there's something I miss. And there's things I do now. There's jokes I do now that I threw out. I didn't throw them away, but I taught, I was like, that's not going to work three or four years ago. And now they're working because yeah. I figured out how to make them work. I didn't have the skills, the writing skills to know how to form that joke to make it work. Or I'm using it in a completely different bit. It's not, not even in the bit I wrote wrote it for. I'm using it in a, a bit about something completely different, but it works. Right. So you learn. It's a long game. It's a game of patience where you need to be paying attention to other comics that are good. And why are their jokes funny or why are their jokes not funny? And, and, and you learn about how to... Uh, how to make your stuff funny if it's not funny but you know you can almost tell if a premise is fun, a premise is funny then you can be able to write jokes about it that are funny but usually what happens is you just don't know how to write the joke right you know or you're or you're writing it uh from the wrong perspective from the wrong point of view you're writing it from a point of view of anger right or, or hate or dislike or it could be the opposite when you should turn it around and say oh i love that I love this or I love that. And then it might work. But if you don't, if you don't learn how to write comedy and learn what makes comedy funny, then it's going to take you forever. If you do even find that out and then you get frustrated and you just quit. Right. Or you just got, or you only have the same five minutes. Every There's comics, man. They've been doing comedy for a while and I don't care where you see them. They still only doing that same five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I'm going to test out your theory tomorrow night because we have a gig tomorrow night and I'm going to come out and say, this is the first time this band has ever performed pu publicly. See if we, we get some sympathy love. This is our first gig ever. Well, you, you, see, that, you see it all the time. Um, you know, they'll say, oh, we're going we're gonna to ask, we're going to, oh, so-and-so's here tonight. We're going to ask her to come up and do a song. She's never performed publicly. Yeah. Well, she's never sang publicly and I guarantee you, if she went up and sang, it would not have to be great. Where they'll be like going crazy, man, because it was her first time, and she went yeah. up. And did. But yeah. if she comes back next week, 
if she comes back next week and you say it, and she's just up on stage with you and you don't say anything about this is her second time on stage and you have her sing that song and it's not, and it's not great. It's going to be a lukewarm applause. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, we got to say goodbye. Last time you, uh, last Thursday when you were on, I think it was Thursday when I, I went to turn off your, oh, I, know uh, what I, did. I know what I did. I, saw no, it. I did it. I did it. I did we it were, too. I did it was, too. We were saying goodbye to you, and I hit the end broadcast. I hit it too at the same time, <laughs> and I realized I realized after I was like, "He's gonna think I'm a moron." I realized <laughs> that I hit it because I instead of the leave studio, I hit it like twice because it said I hit it and it came up and it it even gave me a warning, like, "Are you sure you want?" And I'm like, I clicked it, and then the whole thing went off. And I'm like, "Wait a minute, did I end that show?" I didn't, I didn't message you back. I'm like, oh shit, I might not be on there anymore. I ended, I cut the whole show off. <laughs> well, it's not the first time that happened. Carl did that one time on me. He ended the show in the in the middle of a broadcast. He went to leave and he he did that. And he's like, oh fuck, what do I do? Well, hey, yeah. Now now I know what to do if I don't like the way things are going. I was fuck it, I'll cut, I'll end the show. Yeah, well, StreamYard needs to build in a resume uh, button because once it's ended, you can't come back. You have to recreate a whole new show and start again. Like, who the fuck wants to do that? So they ne- that's one thing they need to work on. But anyway, it's always a pleasure having you uh, be on the program. And uh, thank you for your service. Hold on. I got to play your music while I say goodbye <laughs> to you. So, uh, All right, thank, man. Take care. Thank you for your service. <laughs> Oh, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Katie Hannigan, uh, Hannigan was definitely a um, a score for me. I, I'm I'm glad that we were able to have her on and uh, have a conversation with her. Look forward to seeing her in North Carolina. I'm going to call my brother today and tell him we have a date for September 7th at Goodnights in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, but check her out, Katie Hannigan, Hannigan.com. I keep saying Hannigan like it just comes out that way, but Hannigan.com. Anyway, I uh, hope you appreciate that. And uh, tomorrow, no guest schedule. I do have to get back to Mike Binder. And maybe there's a possibility we'll have him on tomorrow, but probably next week. Uh, and so that's the show for today. I'm going to tell you, to, uh, you know what I'm going to tell you to do, right? If you can guess what I'm going to tell you to do, you've probably seen the show before because I'm going to tell you not to forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.